I'm Tyler Smiley. And I'm John Morrison. And this is the Rooted and Grounded podcast. Rooted and Grounded creates theological content to grow the church in our knowledge of God in order that we would grow in our love for Him and for our neighbor. And somehow I have figured out how to produce a podcast, but to your point, not download an app. So I have to read that from your text message every time. This is amazing. It's amazing. You know, we, we're really showing our age here that uh, you don't know how to download an app. Well, should I be concerned? No, we should be better. I should be better. We're young men. You know, I thought we were young until we had the young staff gathering the other night, and all the youth staff told us they were too, we were too old for them. They were too cool for us. Yeah, it was pretty All depressing. right, we're wasting time, so let's, let's talk about Christ-centered reading of Scripture this morning. Because it's morning, and today is September 18th. 2018, and it may be five years until someone listens to this for the very first time. I'm really sure our mothers are going to listen to it pretty quickly, but uh, outside of those two, we'll see what happens. Christ-centered reading of Scripture, rapid-fire questions, however fast I can think of them. All right, let's yes do this. Yes or no, you can answer yes or no, you can qualify with a sentence if you need to. One sentence qualification. Yeah. You know this isn't going to last for me. Yeah. Yeah, all right. Is Christ the center of all Scripture? Yes, is he the fulfillment of the Old Testament? Yes. Is every text of Scripture about Jesus? Yes. Wow. Those are really good. That was helpful. Look at you, and you didn't even say anything. Why is it important to affirm the Christ-centeredness of the Bible? And we're talking about Jesus Christ, full of God, full of man. Why is it important to talk about the Christ-centeredness of Scripture? I think it takes us back to what's the goal of Scripture. Like, what, why has God communicated to us? And He's communicated to us to reveal Himself, and to reveal Himself in a saving way, in a way that brings us and restores us, reconciles us to Himself, restores our relationship with Him. And the fullest revelation of Himself is Jesus Christ. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Jesus told us. So I think when we understand that Scripture is about God revealing Himself to us that we might know Him, then it has to be about Christ if Christ is the, is the fullest revelation of God. What are... This is a little bit... Uh, this is not a rabbit trail, but this is a little bit sideways, maybe. What are some things that want to step in, or that we may allow to step in, Instead of Christ being the center, other things being the center of Scripture. I like to think I'm the center of Scripture. Yeah. Um, so it's very easy for me to read, especially an Old Testament story, and think that now I need to become like whoever the hero in the story is, that in my own particular circumstances and way, I need to be like Moses and lead God's people. Yeah. Or I need to be like David and be heroic and wrestle the bears in my life. Yeah. Is the Bible about us as people, individually? Is it about me? Yes. I mean, I think, you know, we read the New Testament, these things were written for you, right? Right. Talking about the Old Testament, saying these things are for us. But they're not, they're for us in the sense that they point us to Christ and point us to who He is and what He's done for us that we might know God. Uh, and from that, there right, there are you know, endless applications and inferences about how we should live life and what we should do. But ultimately, we are not the center of the story. Yeah, yeah. 
What are some other things? So myself, maybe I could confuse myself as being the center of Scripture. Yeah, I think we can look at Scripture for about uh, looking about advice on, and this is still a very self-centered approach, but how to live life. Yeah. Right? Scripture is the instru- is God's instruction manual for name your topic. Do you uh, like that language? I mean, we hear that a lot. It's true. It feels a little cheap. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm looking at the new furniture in your office, and I'm guessing you didn't read the instruction manual to put those bookshelves together? I, I glanced at it. You glanced at it. Yeah. yeah, so maybe that tells us something about <laughs> how we view God's Word. Uh, that, Yeah, so instruction manual just feels a little cheap, and maybe almost too too pragmatic. Like, Yeah, I mean, it is helpful. I mean, it is, uh, it is a guide in life. It's a, yeah. a lamp to our feet and a light unto our path. So it will teach us and guide us, and in those ways, it is, it's relevant to everything we, we may face in life. But when, when you say it, if you're, if you're not careful with what you mean by that, I think what people will hear is uh, exactly your first point. Oh, so the point of the Bible is all about me living XYZ type of life. Yeah. Let me read the Bible for, so I can now know how to have financial success. Let me read the Bible so I can have a better sex life. Let me read a Bible's, the Bible so that I'll be a le- better leader at work, or whatever it is. It's like, well, those things may happen through the application of Scripture, but ultimately we read the Bible to know God. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a matter of priority and what we're focusing on in Scripture. I used this example one time in a sermon, and a really smart friend of mine, I have you know, you're one of them, too. Thank you. I have Thank other you. smart friends, Oh, too, good. That's good. But, <laughs> I didn't know you had other friends, so this is a real real step up <laughs> for us. too. A smart friend of mine said it was good, and he usually doesn't say my stuff is good. Oh, that's So, I th- well, maybe this is helpful. I said, you know, if you think about the Bible, uh, consider, the, consider the stories of Sherlock Holmes, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Sherlock Holmes, and, you know, it would be easy to say, well, Sherlock Holmes... Um, stories are all about the people who are coming to him for help because they're the ones who need the help. They mm. have an investigation they're trying to get solved, um, the, the murder of a loved one, something was stolen from them, and they can't figure out what happened, so they come to Sherlock Holmes. So in a way, you say, well, it's all about them. You say, well, you can make an argument. Maybe it's all about his friend, Watson, because he's the one writing them. He's mm-hmm. the one observing. So maybe this is Watson uh, just uh, giving a glimpse into who he really is. You know, so he's he's showing his own cards through the writing of this stuff. You say, well, maybe you make an argument that this is about uh, scientific knowledge mm-hmm. or or propositions because that's what Watson has Sherlock say all the time. So he says all these things and deductive reasoning and et cetera, et cetera, and that's what Sherlock Holmes is all about. And you can make cases for all of these and say, no, there's a point. But at the end of the day, we all know what the what the stories are about. About Sherlock Holmes, right? Right? Yeah. They're about him. Because he is a fascinating person, and Watson wants us all to know about him. <laughs> so at the end of the day, all these other people are implicated mm-hmm. in it because they're, they're taking part. They're, they're trying to figure the, the case out. Uh, it's certainly about scientific knowledge because that would just seem to be an, of an interest to Arthur Conan Doyle writing mm-hmm. through Watson. Certainly about Watson because you're learning about him and his experience with uh, Holmes. But at the end of the day... It's all about Sherlock. Is that helpful? I think it's very helpful. Okay. 
Do you like Benedict Cumberbatch as Sherlock? That's been my favorite okay. of all of yeah. them. Much better than, uh, you know, uh, Tony Stark. <laughs> What's his name? Iron Man? <laughs> Robert Downey Jr.? Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. So If we gave you theology, that would be enough. <laughs> but we also have a lot of hot takes on pop culture. Christ-centered reading of Scripture. We want to say that the whole Bible is about Jesus Christ. Is this a new um, is this a new thing? This argument to say the Bible is all about Jesus Christ, Christ-centered reading of Scripture. Is that a new thing? No. I mean, I would say it goes back to Christ himself, um, but then through the history of the church, we see it just in the, particularly in the sermons of the church in the commentaries written, right, this is what the church has seen as the point of Scripture, is God revealing himself to us in Christ. But so I'm thinking, right, when I said Christ talks about this, thinking about Luke 24. Did you want to read that for us? I will. Or do you want me to get there? Um, Yeah, you read it. So this is Jesus on the road to Emmaus. He is walking with the two disciples, and uh, they don't recognize him yet. He has been, this is after the resurrection, he is in his resurrected body, and so they're telling him about what has gone on with Jesus of Nazareth. And so Jesus is speaking to them and saying, basically, chastising him, saying, didn't you understand? So he says, this is verse 25 from Luke 24, and Jesus said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Right, so here he's, what he's been telling the disciples all along, I'm going to suffer, it is necessary for Christ to suffer. And in verse 27, here's really important for what we're talking about. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Moses and all the prophets, this is a shorthand way for Jesus to refer to the old, what we call the Old Testament, Moses, the first five books, the Pentateuch, and then the prophets, the re- a shorthand way of referring to the rest of the Old Testament. And then it says, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So it seems pretty, pretty all-encompassing, the word all, right? And in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So you have Jesus himself just pretty plainly making this claim that all Scripture um, is about him, points to him, shows him all things concerning him. Matthew 5, 17, Jesus' words, do, you not think that I've come, uh, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law, until all is accomplished. So don't think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So when we read Matthew 24, we don't hear Jesus saying, oh, just forget all that other stuff because it's not important. Right. We hear him saying, this is all pointing towards me. And then Jesus is the fulfillment of these things. Yeah, so we think, what is what has the Old Testament been about? And to your point, your story earlier about Holmes, right? The Old Testament has been revealing God to us through his actions in history. 
Uh, he's been showing us who he is, revealing his character. And when we come to the Gospels and we see, well, who is this God? Well, he is the God who is triune. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the fullest revelation of him is Jesus Christ. And so we read back from the New Testament and we see, oh, this isn't just about a generic God. This is about Yahweh, the, the covenant Lord of Israel. And then we say, who is that? Well, that is Christ himself. That is Jesus. He is. Jesus is Lord. Yeah. If, if we had to try to help see some ways that Christ is the center of Scripture through particular text, let's, let's try to do that. Yeah. Let's... So let's just start with Genesis. Genesis 1, creation. And and this will maybe help also see towards other ways in which narrative kind of points to it, but particularly with creation in Genesis 1. How might we read that in light of a Christ-centered approach to reading Scripture? Yeah, so let's, let's just read. Uh, yeah, let me read Genesis 1, a few verses here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So you read that, and you think, okay, God created. And reading this from a Jewish perspective, you would say, All right, there is one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's one God. He is the God who creates. But then we start to put on our New Testament lenses, and we think about Colossians 1.16, talking about Jesus. For by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Or we think about Hebrews 1, we think about John, John 1. 1. All these things are pointing to Christ's revelation yeah. or Christ's active role in creation. Yeah. And it helps us make sense of some Old Testament passages, too. Like, I'm thinking Psalm 33, it's verse 6. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. Hmm. I said by word and breath, by word and spirit, the Lord is creating. Yeah. Like, well, oh, this is our triune God at work. Yeah. The Father, Son, and Spirit are active in the role of creation. And that's what we saw in Genesis 1, right? That God is speaking creation into existence, and the Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the waters. That this, this isn't a generic God. This is the one true and living God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who has been Trinity from eternity past, is creating. So that's part of it, especially, is saying when we go to the Old Testament, remembering the fullness of God, yeah, absolutely. our triune God at work to create, to do all the things that God is doing in the Old Testament, as it becomes more clear and more clear. I had a New Testament professor, uh, and I won't say his name because you know, he didn't give me permission to <laughs> use his name, but he just he told me one time very clearly, don't go to the Old Testament without Christ. And that's pretty plain. Wait, Spurgeon was your New Testament <laughs> professor? <laughs> I think he has said something about that. What's that? Wouldn't that have been a that joy? That would have been a joy. Yeah. yeah. No, just don't go to the Old Testament without Christ. And that's pretty plain. It's pretty basic. It's not 
uh, sort of earth shattering, but it's true. Go knowing the whole story. Don't so th- I say that because there there can be a tendency to for folks maybe who have read the Bible a lot to want to reread it with fresh eyes. They may say mm. to sort of try to forget everything that they've heard and just reread it again, um, hoping that in that they'll their spirit will be renewed in the reading of the text. And I get that to an extent. I understand. But at the same time, we, we don't want to go not knowing everything God has already revealed. So we just take all of that to the text, particularly Christ, into the text. And then we trust that every time we read, every morning, God's mercies are new. You know, that, that sort of thing. So uh, taking Christ to the Old Testament, particularly in this case, Genesis, just reminds us the fullness of God at work. It also affirms the true nature of who Christ is, right? This is showing us Christ really is this God uh, who has always existed. And so. One thing on the nature of Christ, we fast forward Genesis to Genesis 2 and 3, and we see, right, if we want to read these Christocentrically, we start to see Christ popping all over the place. So right, there is the pro- Genesis 3.15, with the uh, the promise to Eve, yeah, right to the woman, he said, or excuse me, right, the Lord said to the serpent, "I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel." And so, this idea of Eve's offspring, her seed, right, we sort of trace that through Scripture. We see this promised one keeps being promised. This offspring is a pretty big deal. Yeah. And who is that? Well, that's Christ. Yep. And then, you know, Paul helps us see that Christ is a new Adam. Right? So we affirm his full divinity. We see the godness of Christ in creation. We also see, as we think about humanity, the humanity of Christ, that Christ doesn't just come as God to earth, but he comes as one who's fully God and fully man. Mm. And so Paul, Romans 5, talks about Christ is the new Adam. Sin came through Adam, but now life has come through Christ. So where Adam failed, Christ is now succeeding in perfect obedience and restoring us as our, as the head of humanity. He's restoring us to God. Uh, Genesis, let's take a look at maybe prophets. Okay. Um, I'm thinking Joel 2. Yep. Joel 2, 28 and 29. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. So we say, okay, a Christ-centered reading of this reminds us that God's spirit coming to his people is accomplished through Christ, through the work of Christ, because he came to us. And then uh, you keep following the story of Christ and you get finally to John 14, 15, 16, and Christ is promising to his followers that he will not leave us as orphans, not leave them as orphans, um, but I will send a helper to you. I will send you the spirit of truth. And so we say, uh, man, through the work of Christ and this triune God at work for our good and our salvation, Christ comes and in Christ uh, gives his life as a ransom for many, dies, buries, raised from the dead, ascends to heaven, and in his ascension, sends the Spirit to be with us in a way that has never happened before. So that uh, even now, the, the words of Joel are in that fulfilled. 
that he will pour out his spirit on all flesh. You know, think about how John 14, 15, the promise, and then we see the fulfillment of that in Acts. Yeah. Right? Acts 1, wait until the spirit comes. And then Acts 2, we see, this is what, what Peter quotes, that this is happening now. But how is it happening? It's happening through Jesus Christ. And then that, what's the content? What are they prophesying about? Well, it's about Jesus. Yeah. Right? This isn't just random prophecies saying, well, this is going to happen tomorrow, but this is actually proclaiming the glories of Christ, who he is and what he's done to this crowd, but then we'd say continuing, right, continuing to this day to proclaim what Christ has done. What other Old Testament texts might we look at to see how a Christ-centered reading is important and helpful? Well, I think, right, so some of these that we've looked at, like this Joel uh, this passage from Joel and from Genesis, it's a lot easier yeah. because we have sort of explicit New Testament references saying, look at this, this is being fulfilled now, this is fulfilled in Christ. Mm-hmm. So there, there's some harder things, mm-hmm. um, sometimes narratives, something about Nehemiah, uh, you get to the end of Nehemiah, you, you read Nehemiah and you think, well, where's Jesus in Nehemiah? Yeah. Um, I think that's a, that's that's a, a challenge. Question. Mm-hmm. Where is Jesus in Where Nehemiah, Where is Jesus John? in Nehemiah? Well, I mean, one thing I always think of is how you get to the end of Nehemiah. They've, they've, the people of God have been in exile. Yep. The city, the temple have been destroyed because of their disobedience, because of their lack of faithfulness. And you get to Nehemiah, and you think, okay, the people are back in the land. The temple is being rebuilt. The city is being restored. And yet, the people keep sinning, right? Nehemiah's like, what are you doing intermarrying again? This is the very thing from the beginning of God's people being in the promised land that has taken them away from serving the one true God. You're intermarrying. You're setting yourselves on the same trajectory. And so there's this just sort of sense of, like, what are we doing here? I mean, Nehemiah basically says to God in this prayer, like, yeah, I see all this going wrong. Just remember me because I tried to be faithful. And so I think there's a sense of hopelessness at the end of Nehemiah, and you think, what's going to happen? Yeah. Because what people need is not just God's people in God's land, but they actually need a new heart. Mm-hmm. They need someone to change. We need, we, right, because yeah. we're like them. That's right. Uh, and that's probably part of the reason it's depressing to read stories like that is because we see ourselves in them. But we need new hearts. We need to be changed so that we can obey God, so we can live in a way that's pleasing to Him, and ultimately that's coming through Christ. So I think that's one of the ways, is it puts us on this trajectory, it puts us to look to hope in Christ, um, but also with the, the return from exile and the rebuilding of the temple, the weeping over the temple in Ezra and Nehemiah, you think, oh, there's one, there's a new temple coming, and it's Christ Himself. Yeah. Right? He, he is the temple. Destroy this temple in three days. I'll yeah. raise it up, that he, he is becoming God's presence among his people, yeah. um, not just a building, right? Yep. Shall the Lord of all the earth dwell in a building made by human hand? No. It is God himself has come to his people to dwell among us, and not just in one centralized location in the Middle East, but throughout all the world. His presence will extend over all creation. Amen. There's a couple things that I want to do that I think we're going to have to have another episode on. Uh, Christ in the law, Christ in the Psalms, Christ in the wisdom literature, which you know, Psalm, but particularly yeah. Proverbs. 
Th- that would be helpful. Are but you gonna? Are we gonna run out of episodes for Christ and Song of Solomon? Are you gonna get there? Read some Bernard for us, or I think we should do that. All right, I think that would be informative and helpful, and maybe provocative as Song of Solomon Hopefully often is. Pretty provocative. But I, I want to ask one more question uh, because we got to stop in just a few minutes. I want to ask one more question to you by way of quote. Okay, from Mister C. H. Spurgeon oh. himself. A sermon without Christ. So I want to talk. So let's think just for a minute about okay. sermons. Yes, but not only the preaching ministry that we see on Sunday mornings, though that's in mind. And hopefully, everyone listening to this is either a preacher themselves, or they're sitting under preaching every Sunday, in the context of a local church, physically present there with God's people. So preaching in particular, but then also generally teaching. Okay, just the teaching ministry of. Uh, pastors, but other people in the church as well. So when we hear sermon or preaching or anything, we also want to thank teaching in these uh, for our purposes. Spurgeon says, A sermon without Christ as its beginning, middle, and end is a mistake in conception and a crime in execution. What else do we need to say? <laughs> but we want to get, I think we want to get behind Why does he say that? And it's because... Apart from Christ, we don't preach the gospel to people, and we lay burdens on them and say, do, 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 where Christ has said, I've already done this, I've already accomplished this. And so I think we're just, we're, with, apart from Christ, we're not preaching gospel, we're preaching law, we're preaching legalism, and teaching people, whether directly or just indirectly, that you can do this on your own. That you just need to pull yourselves up by your bootstraps and everything will be okay. But Scripture points us to Christ and says, no, you're not okay. You can't do this on your own. You need Christ to accomplish God's work on your behalf. I think you're exactly right. And in another sermon later, Spurgeon will say again, the motto of all true servants of God must be, we preach Christ and Him crucified. A sermon, listen to this, a sermon without Christ in it, a sermon without Christ in it is like a loaf of bread without any flour in it. No Christ in your sermon, sir? Then go home and never preach again until you have something worth preaching. Are his harsh words worth being said? I think it's what distinguishes gospel from anti-gospel. It is, is Christ there? Uh, I preached one time in a church in New England, and they had a little little placard on it from when uh, the Greeks, uh, in the gospel, right, when uh, the Greeks come, and now my mind is blanking, to Philip, right, and mm-hmm. say, sir, we would see Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right. And that was on, on the pulpit, that sir, we would see ah, Jesus. Right, right. Yeah, that, yeah. I think the, the goal of our sermon is to make much of Jesus Christ. The goal of our teaching a Bible study, the goal of our reading Scripture with our kids, of discipling a believer is to make much of Jesus Christ and to say, like Spurgeon did over and over again, look to Christ. Not just for initial salvation, but for life and godliness. Look to Christ. Look to Him crucified. Look to Christ. Look only to Christ. So we want to commend the practice of Christ-centered reading of Scripture for our own souls, for clarity of the gospel, for our teaching and preaching ministries, and for our true and right understanding of who God is and how He has acted through all of history, to reveal himself, make his glory known in all the universe, and for our good and salvation as human beings. 
Yes and amen. If you want to know more about Rooted and Grounded, you can check us out online at rootedandgrounded.co and also find more content there in the future to come because it's not yet been published. Thanks for being with us this morning, John. Thanks, Tyler.